Hey everyone, it's Jeremy Allen from Shattered. I'm here to tell you about another podcast that we do here at Graham Digital. It's called Mismatch, where veteran reporter Roger Weber leads you by the hand through some of history's most strange and surprising stories, stories you probably haven't heard before. And we're excited to play one of the new episodes from season two right now. Subscribe to Mismatch wherever you get your podcasts. Somehow he had soldiered on through all of it, a bullet in the chest, a chronic illness that left him gasping for air, a carriage accident that killed his bodyguard. He had survived a charging rhinoceros and his own charge up San Juan Hill. He had overcome the deaths of his wife and his mother on the same day. Theodore Roosevelt seemed invincible. Don't flinch, don't fall, and hit the line hard. But now, feverish and emaciated, he was ready for his life to end on the river of doubt. I'm Roger Weber. Welcome to Mismatch, stories of the incompatible, the unsuitable, and the out of step. We can debate who was our greatest president, but I think the greatest presidential story has to be Teddy Roosevelt, who died 100 years ago in January of 1919. This episode explores the last major chapter of TR's remarkable life, his bold and arguably foolish venture into an unexplored region of the Amazon, a complete mismatch. Four hundred miles of sweltering heat, torrential rain, relentless insects, poisonous snakes, man-eating piranhas, violent rapids, and hostile native people. Red flags to be sure, but to the former president of the United States, they were irresistible temptations. He's definitely close to death by the end of the trip. That's Kathleen Dalton, historian and author of Theodore Roosevelt, A Strenuous Life. Theodore Roosevelt was president of the United States from 1901 to 1909. Then he runs for president again in 1912 as a bull moose progressive party uh, candidate and uh, makes American history. He's the most successful third party presidential candidate, beating the incumbent, but losing to Woodrow Wilson and uh, is not quite sure what to do with himself. So in 1913, he cooks up this idea of doing a speaking tour in Brazil. TR added to his South American trip a long and reasonably safe journey on previously explored rivers. But after arriving in Brazil, he suddenly latched onto a crazy idea. He would canoe down an unknown river with Brazil's most famous explorer, Candido Rondon. Who helped um, bring the telegraph out into the Amazon. And he is famous in Brazilian history as a person who is respectful of Native people and helped them be a part of the Brazilian state as it expanded into their territory. Rondon had appropriately named it the River of Doubt. He had no idea of its length or its direction. All he knew was where it began. Getting there required a trip with pack animals through hundreds of miles of the arid Brazilian highlands. And it was a very hot and remote area, so even getting to the river was dangerous. They didn't bring enough food, and it was a badly planned exploration. Rondon is a very smart man and very capable, but I think he, he was cavalier about 
the, the food crates. And TR was just so determined to have an adventure, he didn't really think about how serious um, their, their bad planning would be in the long run. But riding on the long trail, TR must have realized the expedition was already in deep trouble. Some of the pack animals were dying, and the supply crates they had carried were abandoned. Roosevelt wrote a book about the journey. This isn't his voice, but the words are his own. Continually, as we journeyed onward under the pitiless glare of the sun or through blinding torrents of rain, we passed desolate little graves by the roadside. They marked the last resting places of men who had died by fever or dysentery or arrows. We raised our hats as our mules plodded slowly by. It took one month to reach the River of Doubt. My name's Jeffrey Lehman, and I was on the Roosevelt Rondon Centennial Scientific Expedition down the deepest of the Amazon. It was October of 2014. Lehman traveled the same river with three others, including a professor from UC San Diego. I've been on a lot of adventures. Lehman hosts the public TV series Weekend Explorer. And I knew that if I did it, it would be the most dangerous, most a challenging thing I ever did in my life. And it lived up to that expectation. So here we are, our first waterfall. It's been a rough day and this waterfall is intense. Um, whew, no wonder Roosevelt was so awed by this. The river goes from as big as you've seen it to, I don't know, two, three meters, 10 feet across at most. And it's at least a kilometer, two thirds of a mile. And this is the smoothest part of the whole river right here. We just spent the last two hours kind of scoping it out and putting up our tents after a long day of rowing, paddling, and uh, it's going to take us all day tomorrow to make this happen, but we will. The jungle is so thick, it's like a prison, and the only way out is the river. So no matter what you were thinking, we had to keep going down that river. It was the only way out. On February 27, 1914, Shortly after midday, we started down the river of doubt into the unknown. We had satellite imagery. We knew what we were up against. They were just paddling down a river. They had no idea where the river was going. They had no idea. Roosevelt's party of 22 men included 16 so-called camaradas who did most of the backbreaking work. They made only six miles the first day, because Colonel Rondon ordered frequent stops to survey the river. T.R. marveled at the dense jungle lining their route, just as Lehman did at the start of his more recent trip. So here I'm on what you can only 
imagine or describe as like kind of the Garden of Eden. It's the most primeval place I've ever been to. And the light was just shining beautifully. And there's this pitch black river and you can just see the roiling. And right in front of me, 10 feet in front of me, this pair of macaw comes squawking, flying right in front of me. I kept trying to take it all in because I thought, you know, this is a once in a lifetime thing. This is an amazing thing I'm seeing. There's only a handful of people that have ever seen this. And I'm lucky enough to be one of those people. At first, Roosevelt could focus on his surroundings. The winding river was not too fast. Not until day three. At last, the slow current quickened. Faster it went, and faster, until it began to run like a mill race, and we heard the roar of rapids ahead. Roosevelt's team was paddling in seven heavy dugouts purchased from local Indians. The expedition planned to use lightweight canoes, but they were tossed aside when mules and oxen withered on the grueling overland trip. So a dugout canoe is is literally you chop down a tree and you dig out the tree and then you and you go in the in the canoe. Some of them weighed more than a ton. The dugouts rode too low in the water. They were tough to maneuver and they required a monumental effort to portage them around rapids. It was this huge undertaking. Um, and so they would have to cut down, they would cut down some trees when they had to do that and they would put the trees down and then they would roll this thousand pound canoe by taking those, rolling it along on those logs where there'd be some guy at the back that would grab the log that rolled out from under it and you'd run it back to the front. It was a bad time to be burning so many calories when their food rations had been cut. The jungle was anything but a natural cafeteria with abundant fruit and game. Well, this is a tropical climate in which you, uh, they, they had no uh, awareness of what they could find. Tropical birds are too small to eat. Uh, and, you know, they might catch some fish, but um, we're talking piranha territory. The thing is, there aren't a lot of animals in that jungle. There just aren't. And they, they thought they would see a lot more wildlife than they did. You try to walk into that jungle, even a hundred feet is a challenge. There's places where you can walk in and and you can find your way between trees and stuff like that because all the lights suffocated out. But for the most part, it is just a mass of of vines and plants, and they all have these uh, thorns and stuff like that that grab at your clothes and rip your skin. So it is it is just kind of beyond normal human experience what that jungle is and making camp was a lot of work you had to cut an open space and pitch the tents and that that was tremendous amount of work plus the insects would go after them so camping in a tropical area uh, where everything molds over and it's damp um, and there's a lot of rain is um, not easy While hacking away brush, someone in Tierra's camp disturbed a deadly coral snake. It headed straight to Roosevelt. He stomped it, but missed the head. Luckily, the snake's fangs plunged no deeper than Tierra's boot. Other potential killers lurked, caimans, jaguars, and piranhas. A century later, Lehman had a close call of his own while cooling off in the river. 
it felt like something jolted the funny bone of his elbow. And about five seconds later, it hit me that that's an electric eel. So I knew I needed to get it out of the water. And the, uh, as soon as I kind of took a step, and I'm only 12 feet, 15 feet most from the, from the side of the river, uh, I get hit by a huge shock in one of my arms. And then um, I'm just at the drop-off, so I try to step up with one of my legs. I get shocked again, and then uh, the, being shocked in the leg like that causes my leg to uh, act involuntarily, and it pushed me back, uh, made me fall back into the river. But then uh, I was able to um, finally get onto the river and survive that. If Roosevelt was afraid of dying from animals or drowning or disease or starvation, he would never have admitted it. Before the trip, he wrote to a friend that he had enjoyed a full life and was willing to leave his bones in South America. But TR was worried about the safety of the man in the lead canoe, his 24-year-old son, Kermit Roosevelt. Did Kermit want to go on this expedition in the first place? No, um, uh, Kermit did not want to go on this expedition. He had just become engaged. Uh, he had also just had an accident falling off a, a, a 40-foot bridge uh, and could have been killed. Um, and he had broken teeth and uh, was seriously ill. So to get letters from his mother, Edith is writing him saying, I know you just had an accident, you're just recently engaged, but you have to go on this trip to save your father's life. He's in a heroic mood, and it may be reckless, and uh, he's got these underlying medical conditions, and you know how he is. He's uh, He wants to be one of the great explorers, and he's willing to die on this path to find this river. One of the fascinating things that you run into is currents that you don't really expect. You have rivers feeding in from directions you don't expect them to be feeding in from, and all of a sudden the bottom of your canoe is getting buffeted by a countercurrent that's going to topple you over. On March 15th, just over two weeks into the journey, Kermit's canoe was sucked into a whirlpool and flipped. A camarada named Simplicio disappeared in the raging current. Kermit was also swept down the rapids. So T.R. is running ahead to find where the rapids are, and um, he thinks his son is dead. Uh, but they pull Kermit out of the water. Uh, his helmet uh, is covering his face, but they're able to resuscitate him, and he is alive. But Simplicio's body was never found. T.R. realizes that he's put his, his son in harm's way and that he doesn't really care very much if he gets out because he's so discouraged about his life and down. But to take his son into the wilderness and to have him lose his life because of bad planning and, and unexpected danger is, is, is really sobering. They lost Kermit's canoe and the food it carried. Two other canoes had been destroyed after rising water broke them from their moorings. So they had to carve new dugouts and portage them again and again. More exhaustion, more delays. They were hungry, and the insects were relentless. Our hands and faces were swollen from the bites and stings of the insect pests. 
mosquitoes, horseflies, bees, giant ants. Termites invaded TR's tent. They ate holes in his helmet and even devoured his underwear. Theodore Roosevelt was a pretty stoic guy, but the one thing he did complain about in his book was the insects. How about you? <laughs> yes, the insects. Um, I was getting bit about a hundred times a day. So uh, I, was, I was just absolutely getting mauled. And uh, they made so much noise. And all of these time periods, uh, I was typically hiding uh, in my tent, or I was covered head to toe and just part of my face exposed on the river. So uh, even with all of that uh, precaution, plus using insect repellent, I was still getting bit 100, 100 times a day. The day after Kermit's accident, Colonel Rondon was walking through thick vegetation and heard what he thought was a spider monkey. He hoped to shoot it and bring back a meal to the men. Rondon's dog ran ahead, disappeared from view, and began howling in pain. He returned to his master, fatally injured by two arrows. As the natives moved closer to Rondon, he fired his gun in the air and ran away. So they knew that they were surrounded by um, Native people who did not want explorers coming to their neighborhood. Why do you think the natives did not attack them? Well, they, uh, TR's party had guns, so that's very important. They had guns, and um, I, I think they would have uh, been able to defend themselves at least for a while. Uh, and they stayed together. I mean, that's the other thing, is being a, a party um, with, with guns made them more formidable. Teddy Roosevelt had long been admired for his toughness, which he took to the extreme. In 1912, a would-be assassin shot him on the campaign trail. Bleeding from a chest wound, T.R. delivered a 90-minute speech before going to a hospital. A year and a half later, he would come even closer to death on the River of Doubt. On March 27th, um, the canoes overturned and T.R. steps into the water uh, and helps pull the canoes out, but he damages his leg just where his old leg injury that never healed from his carriage accident when he was president. Um, uh, so he's got a, a leg infection and injury, and then his malaria gets bad. And he's feverish and delirious. He's got palpitations, shortness of breath. He's always had a heart condition. Within a day, Roosevelt could barely get off his cot. At the same time, the men's spirits were crushed by what they discovered ahead. The most punishing set of rapids yet, including a 30-foot waterfall. The slippery rock face on either side was nearly vertical. The river was now more obstacle than escape route. They seemed stranded in this uh, vertical mountain area of uh, miles of rapids and steep hills. Rondon panics and says, we're all going to have to fight ourselves uh, one by one out of the jungle. Let's all just, every man for himself. Cutting their way through the jungle would have been a death sentence for Teddy Roosevelt, and probably for all of them. They would easily have become lost. They would have been vulnerable to native people and to animals. And Kermit steps up and says, no, we'll only survive if we keep together. 
Back home in New York, Edith Roosevelt had no clue that her insurance policy was paying off. She had coaxed her son into joining the expedition. Now, Kermit did everything to save his father. But could he save T.R. from himself? No man has any business to go on such a trip as ours unless he will refuse to jeopardize the welfare of his associates by any delay caused by a weakness or ailment of his. It is his duty to go forward, if necessary, on all fours, until he drops. T.R. begs Kermit, just leave me, I'm a burden, go ahead. And people are afraid that he'll take the company's morphine supply and kill himself. And so he has to, T.R. has to be watched around the clock. And because he really feels as though he's a drag on the party, Kermit uh, fights with every inch of his life to keep his father alive. Kermit convinced the others that he could lead them through the gorge. They discarded more supplies and carried what remained over the steep hills. The empty dugouts were lowered down the rapids with ropes. It took four days. For me, the hero of the exploration trip is Kermit Roosevelt. But they weren't out of the jungle yet. Clearly, as they have less food and it becomes more dangerous, they're living on half rations and just palm hearts. Uh, They're basically starving. Jeffrey Lehman, during his centennial expedition, had plenty of food. He still lost a lot of weight. The exertion was similar to running a marathon every single day. And over the 23 days, I lost about 23 pounds, even with all that food I was eating. Roosevelt lost about a third of his body weight. He went from about 225 pounds, if I remember correctly, to about 165 pounds. One of the camaradas named Julio was caught stealing food. That enraged his supervisor, who punched him in the face. When the supervisor later accused him of laziness, Julio grabbed a rifle and shot him. He lay in a huddle, in a pool of his own blood, where he had fallen, shot through the heart. I feared that Julio had run amok and intended to take more lives. Roosevelt, though still severely ill, helped place the body in a riverside grave. He was relieved to learn Julio had dropped the rifle during his escape, as if there was any place to escape too. Three days later, the murderer called out from the jungle, asking to rejoin the group. He was ignored. Standing guard would be an additional and severe burden on the weary, honest men, already exhausted by overwork. The expedition was in peril. Rondon later sent two men to look for Julio, but they couldn't find him. He apparently died in the wilderness. Nineteen of the original 22 men were left struggling and wondering if they'd lived to tell the story. At least half of them, including Kermit, battled fever. TR's leg wound had been cleaned and lanced, but was still badly infected. He was giving some of his food to the hardworking camaradas, though he desperately needed it for himself. On April 15th, the expedition finally caught a break. And they find this rubber shack. And after all these days, they realize they've met civilization again. Um, And they're able to get food and medical supplies and 
basically get into the the main part of the Amazon. It's miraculous that they survived this trip. One of the locals paddled closer and couldn't believe that the frail man in the canoe had been president of the United States. When the 55-year-old Roosevelt arrived home in May, Americans were shocked by his weight loss. Theodore Roosevelt died five years later in 1919. Did the River of Doubt shorten his life? Absolutely, because it worsened his fever, it um, hurt his immunities. In the last years of his life, he was emaciated. Um, he had he was hospitalized and dealing with a lot of just general weakening. During the expedition, the River of Doubt was renamed the Roosevelt River. Kathleen Dalton and Jeffrey Lehman share one concern. Deforestation and development threaten that wild place, and it needs to be preserved. But they have different opinions about what Roosevelt did there. It proved that T.R. cared more about proving his masculinity and going on these boyish adventures than he did about the social problems he left at home. He was a major progressive voice in 1912 and 1913. So what does he do instead of staying with the progressive party, which was did have people in Congress and was trying to be a third-party voice for, for helping poor people, helping uh, workers, helping women get a vote. Um, what does he do? He has to go off and be an adventurer because he has all this unfinished business. You know, what's wrong with a guy who does this? I, I think it's reckless and it's self-indulgent. You have to love Roosevelt. I, you just, especially as an explorer like myself, you have to love Roosevelt. Roosevelt had some huge flaws that few people talk about, and I'm very familiar with those. But I have tremendous respect for Theodore Roosevelt. But with that said, and and also with the backdrop of he'd been on a lot of fantastic uh, expeditions in the past, he bit off more than he could chew. But in typical uh, Rooseveltian manner, never complained or said a word uh, to that effect. And he just sucked it up and made it happen. Roosevelt made a lot happen. In 1914, a few months after his greatest ordeal, his greatest accomplishment was unfolding. It happened about halfway between that treacherous river and his home in New York. The opening of another waterway, the Panama Canal. The same stubborn drive that put Theodore Roosevelt in harm's way also put him on Mount Rushmore. Teddy, you should have the last word. The credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs, who comes short again and again, because there is no effort without error and shortcoming, who at the best knows in the end the triumph of high achievement, and who at the worst, if he fails, at least fails while daring greatly, so that his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who neither know victory nor defeat. Mismatch is produced by Zach Rosen and written and narrated by me, Roger Weber. Much of the information in this podcast is from Candace Millard's book, The River of Doubt. Our thanks to Jason Colthorpe, who supplied the voice of Teddy Roosevelt. By the way, if you want to see some great photos of that river, check out our website, mismatchpodcast.com. 
Thanks for listening to Mismatch.